Welcome to Strength for the Journey from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau. When we read our Bibles, there are tons of people and characters we can identify with. In today's sermon, we meet three more who interact with Jesus in very different ways. And now for the gospel reading, as is our tradition, out of respect for the Word of God, please stand as I read the Word today. From the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, as we are walking through the whole Gospel of Mark, we hear this. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders and the teachers of the law, came together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days we'll build another not made with hands. And yet, even their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah? the Son of the Blessed One. I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him struck him with their fists and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. The title of this message is The Empathetic Lord. If we want a God in whom we would fully dedicate our lives, we would want a God like Jesus. Not only because he's powerful and kind and forgiving and understanding, but also because he, he would be empathetic to all of the challenges we would face here on earth. He would feel our pain as well as our joy. Ash Wednesday last week ushered in the season of Lent, which is the 40 days prior to Easter. And in this one passage that leads up to Easter morning, we will find clues of an empathetic God in Jesus. Our story today finds that Jesus is unfairly arrested, is a victim of the injustice of the court system, falsely accused, is physically assaulted, he is abandoned by friends for whom he has poured his life into for three long years. On this one night, Jesus has gone through much of what you yourselves have experienced. We can feel abandoned by a friend or falsely accused by a business or a relative or a colleague. Maybe we have been physically abused or beaten up. Maybe the court system has let us down. Maybe someone even used religion against us. 
Maybe someone doubted what God has called you to do. Maybe like Jesus, you're facing possible death, not from an execution, but from a scary medical report. All of these elements are in this one episode. We can see that when we go through these challenges and hurts, and Jesus would be an empathetic Lord. Whatever you're going through, Jesus understands. He's real, you know. Last week, Chris gave a great sermon that led us up to this passage. In review, in his sermon, we heard how Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was full of action. We saw the literal kiss of death from Judas on Jesus' cheek. Then a fight during a late-night prayer meeting in which Peter pulls out a sword. Now, why a fisherman has a sword at a late-night prayer meeting, we don't know unless he was planning to prepare some sashimi for a late-night snack. But no, Peter, maybe using an enlarged Masamoto sashimi knife, slices off at an ear of a servant of the high priest. Yeah, it was dark, no street lights, just some torches. So Peter perhaps missed and got the ear instead of the head. But the story ends, as Chris told it, with a tussle and Jesus is arrested while the temple police try to grab one of the disciples who we think is the author of this gospel named Mark. But as Mark is running away, the temple guards grab his robe, which turned out to be history's first tearaway jersey, and all of Mark's clothes are ripped off in the escape, and Mark runs off naked. Clearly, Chris gets all of the fun passages to preach on. But in today's passage, we find a number of characters that are all so intriguing. So my question to you all today is, who are you in this story? Each character tells a different spiritual story. So let's go verse by verse. We begin with verse 54. It says, Peter followed Jesus at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And there he sat with the guards, warmed himself at the fire. So our first character is the Apostle Peter, that hothead fisherman who, like, wields a sword. Peter watches Jesus from a distance, doesn't get involved. He tried to defend Jesus or himself with a sword, but then ran away. He was once close to Jesus, but now distanced. Maybe that's you. Maybe you feel a bit distanced from Jesus today. And once you were close, or you tried to get close, but now you feel more distant. And the reason might be, like Peter, you thought Jesus was something that he isn't. He perhaps didn't perform like you thought he would. You thought he would protect you from all the pain in your life, and you're fighting for your life right now in your garden of Gethsemane. You thought Jesus would be like a Marvel superhero who would use his divine superpowers to guard you, but you got hurt or are in danger in your health, in your finances, or in your relationships. Maybe a church once hurt you, and you have been in self-exile for a while, wondering if the church of Jesus or if Jesus is even for real. Is Jesus weaker than we thought? 
Or maybe you worked really hard in ministry and you thought Jesus would reward you for that. You thought it was transactional. I work hard, then I get blessed more, and God loves me more. I paid my sweat equity. But I still have pain in my life, so it didn't seem to work out the way I thought it would. So we distanced ourselves, close but not too close to Jesus, And here is Peter at a fireplace with some of the guards who were ironically like the ones who took Jesus away. So if you are here today, kind of checking out Jesus from a distance, maybe having seen a miracle or two like Peter in the past, but now wondering, are you for real God or not? I want you to know that you are welcomed here and we understand your questions and they are good questions. So how could mere temple guards take Jesus away when Jesus is supposed to be the all-powerful God? How could pain or violence enter into his life or our lives? So Peter, maybe like you, is feeling distant. Now, our next group of characters, the Sanhedrin. Next verse, 55. The chief priests of the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they didn't find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements didn't agree. Then some stood up, gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I'll destroy this temple made with hands, and in three days we'll build another not made with hands. Jesus was talking about his re- the resurrection three days later, metaphorically. And yet, um, even their testimony did not agree. So the Sanhedrin... The Sanhedrin are the 23 or the 70 rabbis, not sure how many on that specific night, who sat as a tribunal to judge spiritual matters. And these are the ones who came up with all that tradition and culture that if you feel um, distant from God, then you can only get closer to God by going through these rules or regulations or rituals. It was a works-only kind of religion. So when Jesus came and spoke of mercy and grace, it was a threat to their religious system because it was through that system it could, they could controlled people. And that was one of the reasons they wanted to kill Jesus. And maybe there's a little Sanhedrin in us all at one time or another. Maybe deep down inside, we think if I do more, God will love me more if I follow the rules, follow the rituals. And maybe if I follow the rules more, then God will love me even more. It's a shock. It was a shocking gospel that Jesus said, I already love you to the fullest. Don't need to do anything to earn my love. Just follow me and you will do great things out of love, not out of obligation. Just as a child shouldn't have to work to gain a parent's love, so know you are fully loved as you are by your heavenly Father. Jesus is saying, nothing you can do will make me love you even more. So Jesus is saying, I'm willing, I was willing to be unfairly treated and sacrificed that you might know of my love. And know that I've taken away kind of this cosmic curse off of your life called sin so that you can live a fulfilled life here on earth as well as in heaven. And maybe some of us in this room have heard false claims, myths about Jesus all our lives. 
For one, we've heard maybe at one time he's just a man, a good, exceptionally moral man, but a man. Or maybe we heard that he never claimed to be God. Or maybe we think that I can do anything I want, I can sin all I want, and God will forgive me. So I will purposely live that grace, his forgiveness, may abound. Or maybe we think, if I follow Jesus, I'm going to be really rich. Or if I follow Jesus, I will never have pain or injustice. Or all roads lead to God, so I don't need to follow Jesus. Those are all false testimonies about who Jesus is and what he offers us. And our Bible passage today talks about the false testimony given about Jesus. And over the centuries, there have been much false testimony about Jesus. That, for example, Jesus hates gays and lesbians. Or that Jesus wanted blacks to be slaves. Or that the Ku Klux Klan with their crosses means Jesus endorses them. Or that Jesus thinks women must be subordinate in all ways. People today carry many misconceptions about Jesus. And sometimes we take a tiny part of a Bible passage instead of the whole of the truth of what Jesus calls us to, and that tiny part blocks out for us what Jesus has tried to say. It's kind of like an inoculation that gives us a little bit of antibodies. Part of the truth uh, prevents more understanding of the full story of Jesus. The Sanhedrin was always trying to find proof that Jesus was not God. They were always trying to find evidence that Jesus was not the God they wanted. And we can be like that at times. Sometimes when things go wrong, when there is just some prick of pain, we are so quick to whine and complain. Oh, that pain now shows that Jesus is not God or that he doesn't love me. The passage says, if the Sanhedrin's false testimony did not agree, and we can hear all of these difficult, different voices in our heads, or whenever we look at something just from one side, we're going to get a garbled, warped point of view. And yes, clearly, things have gone wrong in the church of the world. And some very bad things have been happening in the name of Jesus. We can read of the horrible atrocities in the Catholic and Protestant churches, but it would be a false witness to say that is the whole picture as any human institution can be tainted by sin. Or as Immanuel Kant wrote, out of the crooked timber of humanity, no straight thing was ever made. But it is also out of the church and Christians that came such great organizations as World Vision, Compassion International, Red Cross, uh, Wycliffe, InterVarsity, YWAM, YWNYMCA, um, Wilberforce ended, uh, tried to end slavery through England, and, and as well as two major organizations who fight sex trafficking, Agape International Mission and International Justice Mission. We have looked at Peter and the Sanhedrin, and now let's look at the third character in the story, the high priest. <clears throat> Jesus' response to the high priest might surprise you. Let's look at verse 61. Jesus remained silent. <clears throat> Gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? 
I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. First, Jesus gave no answer. Does that surprise you? He just remained silent. In his divine wisdom, he knew that at some point, if people could not understand his three years of ministry in their midst, and if they were going to twist everything he says, then silence is the best thing. When people unfairly accuse you, sometimes silence is the best thing. But when the high priest asks Jesus factually, are you God, the son of the blessed one? Jesus says, I am, which is the same name that God used when God spoke to Moses through a burning bush. I am that I am. I am God. And man, when Jesus says that, you see right then, everything changes. Jesus is the founder, so to speak, of the only, of the only major religion that claims to be God. The other major religions, the leaders don't claim that. This is earth-shaking. In essence, he's saying, I'm going to be sitting at the right hand of God the Father for all time, and you will see that at the end of your life. So when the high priest heard that, what did he do? He tore his clothes, which signified in those ancient times an incredible stress and displeasure. We first see the tearing of clothes in the Bible. Do you remember? In the Old Testament, when Reuben saw that his brother Joseph was sold into slavery. And then later, when Joseph's father, Jacob, realizes Joseph is gone, he too rends or rips his clothes. Now, have you read this before? Why do they tear their clothes? Because in an agricultural society, clothes were expensive and very time-consuming to make. So when people chose to tear their clothes... It showed how truly upset they were, so much so that they would damage an expensive possession. Can I have my drink, please? So here, the high priest rips his clothes and says, we don't need any more witnesses. Maybe at that point he says, I need a drink. So there are times where we might identify with a high priest because we are near the point where we say, I don't need any more witnesses that Jesus is God. I've had it up to here. My pain is so great. There's so much discord in my life. I have felt let down by him. And I would say to these people, be careful that you have not been listening to a lot of false witnesses who have said things about Jesus that Jesus never said. And by the way, remember Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I, I, will, uh, I will overcome the world. In me, you will have peace. So sometimes the truth gets distorted. But even though the truth of Jesus was distorted by the Sanhedrin and the high priest, Jesus said that he's still going to come back for us. I'll, I'll be the son of man, which was his favorite name, because he's kind of saying, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm coming back for you. I will not abandon you. Look for me someday. I'll be on the clouds of heaven. Now, you should know when he said that, he didn't mean necessarily the regular clouds in the sky, but the clouds of divine presence, or what the Bible calls Shekinah glory. It's the very essence of glory and being of God. So the question is, Who are you in the story? Or maybe just a part of you in the story. Peter, 
who once was close to God but are now distant from him? Or are you part of the Sanhedrin? Maybe you're so stuck in this religious black and white practices or really trying to work ethics your way towards God. Or are you the high priest who in spite of all the proof God has shown you, you're blinded by false expectations of him? So let's pause for a moment and think about that. Is there a part of these three peoples that I'm going through right now? And then we find out in the story as we end it. Sadly, tragically, sadistically, the story continues with this next verse in the passage. And then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him. They struck him with their fists and said, prophesy. And then the guards took him and beat him. To beat our Lord so viciously and then so sarcastically telling him to prophesy who, who hit him because he was blindfolded. It was just appalling and cruel and unjust. And if that was not enough, after all that, the guards take him out and rather than let him heal from the beating, they beat him to a bloody pulp. And when I read of this, I think it's like a man in an office in a burning high-rise building who's trying to tell his colleagues there's only one way out. The fire, the flames is coming up. And he learned from the master architect of the building that if there's a fire, go down a certain hallway and a certain stairwell. So he said, come, follow me down this hallway. And his office mates ask, well, who do you think you are, God? And he said, no, really, please go this way, follow me. And his colleagues say, hey, our tradition is that we take the elevator down, not the stairwell. That's the practice. We do that every day. We go out for lunch or leave at the end of the day. Plus, it's faster. But the man says, no, don't take the elevator. You will die. The elevator will take you right down into the midst of the lake of fire. Follow me. Take the stairwell. Take my path. But incredulously, because they felt he was such a nuisance, they beat him up and then had the security take him out into the hallway and beat him up again into a bloody pulp. The man who was trying to save them was seen as a crazy nuisance who thought he was their savior. That is what this story is like. Jesus is trying to tell us to follow him. Let's not listen to the lies about him. Just follow him. Now you heard... You saw that the title of this sermon is The Empathetic Lord. Whatever pain or misunderstanding or life's questions you are facing, run to our empathetic Lord Jesus instead of running away from him. You've heard about all of the beatings and pain and injustice he has gone through. He knows what it's like when you suffer. He does feel your pain. He weeps with you, and he can be our Lord, God, friend, as he says. His arms are reaching out to us. Years ago, Time Magazine had an interview with a woman named Joanne Terrell, uh, an American-African writer, and she suffered a life of poverty, but worse than that, she suffered a life of violence um, in Africa before she moved here. Her mother was killed by her boyfriend. When Joanne studied the death of Jesus, 
she began having flashbacks of her mother's death, the, the bl- bed mattress soaked in, in blood and her mother's bloodied fingerprints on the wall and all these graphic things came to her mind. And if anyone had a right to say, Jesus, I can't follow you, it probably would have been Joanne Terrell. In Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God, he quotes her as saying, I had to find a connection between my mom's story and my story and Jesus' story, she said. She found it in understanding the cross, namely that Jesus did not only suffer for us but with us. He knew what it was like, literally, to be under the lash and refuse to be cowed by those in power and to pay for it with his life. He voluntarily took his place beside those who are without power and who were suffering from injustice. Whereas John Stott wrote, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? In a Time Magazine interview, Joanne Terrell said that she realized that, quote, Jesus not only suffered for us, but he suffered with us. He knows what it's like to stand up to those in power and pay for it with his life. He knows what it's like to be a victim of a corrupt judicial system. So this is the God who suffers not only for you, but with you. The God who was assaulted and lynched and abandoned and who was depressed of the cross for you. If I wanted a God, I would want one who knows and feels my pain and yet calls me to strength and to hope and to help others. It's the message of the hope of Easter that is coming. So know today, the Lord is with you. He is for you. He knows your challenges and your pain. And he offers his hand that has a nail hole in his wrist to say, I empathize, and I am with you. Follow me, and let's make this world a better place. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, as we are reminded of what you went through 2,000 years ago, first of all, forgive us, Lord, that we can forget. We can have amnesia. We can forget the details. But Lord, forgive us when we forget how empathetic you are for us today. And you said you wouldn't protect us from pain, but that you would give us joy in the midst of pain. If we would but follow you. And so, Lord, I I pray that as we sing this song, that these words could truly be our words in the depths of our soul, that we will indeed follow you. In Christ's name, amen. Before I give the final blessing, as we think about what it means to have an empathetic Lord, I invite you for prayer after the last song. If we have an empathetic Lord, we should come up to him and talk with him and pray. And our prayer team will be in front of the cross and in front of the choir risers. And I've told you before, when I go on conferences, um, in other places, other cities. And if ever they say, anybody want to come up for prayer, I always go up because there's always something that's going on in my life. So I encourage you to come up for prayer. And now for all of you, please stand as I have a blessing for you.
And as I uh, raise my bandage hand, we are reminded that when the Lord blesses us or invites us, that he, he does have two nail holes in his wrists, that he is indeed the empathetic Lord. And so now receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's grace be upon you and its countenance be upon you. And may you know deep in your heart the wonderful, incredible, gracious love of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. With all the characters we identify with in the Bible, we can rest assured that Jesus identifies with us. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Spreads website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Join us at one of our worship services on campus at 45550 Kiona Ole Road, Kaneohe, Hawaii, 96744. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 930, and 1111. Follow First Prez on Twitter and Facebook. Download the brand new First Prez app. Watch First Prez sermon videos on our website and on Facebook. And if you need more, call us at 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you and thank you for listening. Strength for the Journey is copyright 2019 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau.